please start uh, good afternoon from kolkata i am dr shomodhi chattopadhyay associate professor bishwabharati university and senior fellow of the impact and policy research institute new delhi on behalf of team of the center for habitat urban and regional studies at impri i welcome you all to this uh, city conversation series uh, the basic motivation of uh, this uh, talk series is as follows like india is urbanizing we all know and the country is expected to house half of its population in urban areas by the year 2040 and instead of traditional sprawl indian cities are uh, tend to grow horizontally informally haphazardly and the increasing pace of urbanization in india has not been matched by inadequate planning governance and infrastructure development and consequently most of these urban areas are uh, riddled with serious infrastructural deficits and uh, high incidence of poverty and so on and this undermines the competitive edges of these cities and their potential as uh, key drivers of economic growth and the deplorable state of indian cities is typically attributed to uh, poor financial health uh, lack of planning uh, which again are linked to inst weak institutional capacities the absence of effective governance structures and so on and essentially uh, there are a few ready made models of urban governance to be relied upon as uh, antidote to this urban crisis uh, there are certain theoretical debates as well as empirical evidences which uh, suggest that along with financial empowerment democratic participatory processes matter as much as getting institutions right the impact of uh, this covid-19 pandemic have Uh, further exposed the shortcomings of indian cities in addressing the urban densification inadequate provision of uh, urban basic services and etc and this pandemic has affected the urban poor more than anyone else the engines of our economic growth have been derailed uh, due to massive disruption in economic and related activities inflicted by this pandemic uh, still we increasingly place our large cities at the center of of the economic growth strategies and, and we need to embrace urbanization as a as a, a key plank in the national development strategy it is crucial to understand contextual relevant uh, micro level and macro level institutional governance reforms necessary for managing these cities so how can the cities address the difficult challenges of poor infrastructure and living condition what are the policy options uh, to ensure that our cities can make room for growth within their existing urban centers as well as the growth on their periphery uh, these well serviced and sustainable the center for habitat urban and regional studies at impri along with industra global and city makers mission international has launched a discussion series uh, the state of cities hashtag city conversations in this talk series we plan to engage with experts on urban and regional studies to find out answers to some of uh, these questions uh, today we are delighted to have with us uh, professor jagan shah, jagan shah and uh, professor shah is a senior infrastructure advisor in the uk government's department for international development his body of work uh, bridges across design planning innovation organizational development and capacity building and it is equally informed by his professional training as an architect in new delhi and his uh, uh pg studies in architectural history and theory at the university of cincinnati and columbia university allowing him to situate his commitment to participatory governance integrated planning green transport transportation within a political economic context and during the decade prior to joining dfid shah steered the organizational transformation at the niua the premier urban think tank of the government of india and the traditional 
of the Shushant School of Art and Architecture, one of the India's most reputed private institutes into the anchor institution for the newly founded Ansel University. And during uh, 2007 to 2010, uh, uh, Professor Shah successfully incubated an in-house urban development unit for a leading Indian business group. He served as a visiting fellow in the School of Planning and Architecture during 1998 to 2006. Uh, Shah's work as an expo urban expert includes a number of nationally significant and uh, pioneering initiatives such as the heritage plan for, for Jaipur, plans for station areas for the regional rapid transit system between Delhi Mirat and Delhi Panipat, the regional plan 2021 for the national capital region, the master plan for Delhi, uh, the national urban policy framework, and the policy and implementation of India's smart city mission. Shah's writing include two books, Contemporary Indian Architecture and Building Beyond Borders, co-authored with uh, Shatish Grover and a significant corpus of article on architecture and urbanism. He has been a member of the Broad Ops Trustees of Clean Air Asia since 2016. Uh, today's title of his talk is Transforming Urban India Bit by Bit. He plans to discuss the key challenges for sustaining urbanization in India in the context of the overwhelming urban rural integration and some plausible reforms in the areas of planning and governance needed to properly manage the Indian cities. And today we also have uh, urban experts, uh, eminent urban discussions, Dr. Dipti Jain from Terry and Dr. Mukta Naik from CPR. Welcome you uh, to both of you to this uh, city conversation series. And now may I now request uh, uh, Professor Shah to uh, start his presentation or lecture. It's over to you, Professor Shah. Uh, thank you, Dr. Chattopadhyay. I think that that introduction um, was was extremely uh, informative even to myself when I look at it in in the context of the the urban context that you spoke about before introducing me. Um, I think um, I think you you pretty much. Uh, described my my presentation, uh, you know, in terms of the kinds of issues I want to actually touch upon. But what I want to do today is really to kind of walk through a, a particular narrative that has developed around urbanization in India, and to see what might be some of the strains within that narrative. Uh, you know, what what are the stresses and strains that um, that challenge our claims that we are going to be able to actually manage sustainable urbanization. And that's that's uh, going to be sort of my main, main plank, that we really are um, in a situation where unless we use the so-called transformative power of urbanization um, to achieve societal and economic goals, then we will, in a sense, be potentially um, buried under the sort of the detritus of urbanization. So, you know, urbanization can become a burden, pretty much similar to the way in which, say, the youth bulge can become a, a demographic burden as well, uh, if it is not managed well. So urbanization kind of, to my understanding, falls into that category. I, I have a deck of slides, so I'm just going to um, uh, share that deck. And Please, if you can just confirm anybody that you can see the first slide, the cover slide. Um, is this visible? Okay. Not yet, sir. Not yet. Not yet. Hang on, hang on. Sorry. Yes. And now you can see it? Yes. It's visible, yes. <clears throat> okay, so... Um, 
So let me start with the title, Transforming Urban India Bit by Bit. So this is linked to what... Um, hello? Yes, sir, you can have your camera on, video on. Um, okay, sorry about that. Just one second. Yes. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I do most of my meetings on Teams and I'm not very adept at using uh, this. Just hang on a second. All right. Is that is that uh, visible, the slide? No, the slides are visible, but your video is off. My video is off. No, it, yes. it, it isn't. Um, so, just a second. Let, me, not let me try again. At the start video thing? Just one second. One second. Okay. You just keep your video on and then just, uh, if you please start share, sharing. Share the screen, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That should work. Okay. And yeah. there we are. Yes? Is the slide visible and I'm also visible and audible? You are audible, but you are not visible, sir. Oh, that's strange. So there is a problem in here. Um, anyway, anyway, I think. Uh, yeah, let me, if you can hear me, then I guess let, let me go yes. through the presentation. Yes, and, yes please, please. Um, I don't know why this doesn't remain uh, while I share the screen. No, my, I, I just noticed that my video goes off the moment I share screen. This must be some problem with uh, using the browser. But if I'm audible, then let me continue. Yes, yes yeah? please, please. Okay, that's good. So, um, so the title, Transforming Urban India, Bit by Bit, this is kind of linked to what I've said about trying to follow the narrative of how we've come to um, a year 2020 when we are still facing... Uh, enormous urban challenges, the kind that uh, Dr. Chattopadhyay mentioned in the introduction, I think I have no, no particular argument with any of those descriptions. Um, and we are at this moment where COVID has impacted the city and in some senses it's an opportunity for us to rethink that narrative. And in order for us to do that, I think it's important for us to understand what is that narrative that's been built up in the urban sector over roughly the last 10 years. So uh, the contents of my presentation are broadly uh, described uh, like this. I don't necessarily want you to read all of this, but I'm going to try and follow this narrative from the description of India as a reluctant urbanizer um, to uh, a situation where we now need to kind of decide on strategies for dealing with urbanization. So the reluctant urbanizer, this is what was the description of, uh, of India 10, 10 years or so ago. Um, the 2011... Uh, census, of course, kind of burst that bubble um, that we were not actually a reluctant urbanizer. We had added uh, more than 2,700 uh, total towns to our overall inventory of towns. Um, and yet um, we were still basically looking at trying to um, catch up with, with other countries. Um, so at that time, India, 31% urbanization was aspiring to become like Korea and aspiring to become like uh, countries that had much higher uh, levels of urbanization. But that was going to pose a problem. 
um, the narrative needed to take account of the vast geography of urbanization. In 1951, roughly, this is the kind of map we had. The larger circles, the larger green dots are showing cities of about one to five million population. Uh, you can see the big metros um, over there. And then in 2011, this, this gets a little more developed as a map of uh, urban India. And the projection of 2031 looks at a much bigger uh, array of urban centers all over the country. So for us to understand the narrative, we must understand that in some fundamental sense, the central government needs to look at the conditions of urbanization across the country. And that may pose some problems, but we'll come to that. Um, so one of the most influential um, uh, sort of reports uh, in recent history has been this particular one, which is called India's Urban Awakening. It was brought out by McKinsey Global Institute in 2010. And this, in a sense, created what I might call the mythology of urbanization in India. Um, the, the, the description of urbanization as some kind of a genie that could be released from a bottle, um, that would create new jobs, that would build lots of new... Um, uh, buildings um, and so on and so forth. But if you if you look at the bottom of the image, you'll see that there were these building blocks of sustainable urban living, which we hadn't as yet sorted out. So planning, for instance, or getting pr the private sector to invest in our cities, affordable housing for all. It's still uh, like a holy grail for us. Um, and empowering city administrations. All of these uh, as Dr. Chattopadhyay also described earlier, are some of the structural problems with the urban sector, and you needed to fix those to move forward. Now, urbanization in India has assumed some very peculiar characteristics and, and, and therefore some, some very peculiar problems. Um, now, if you recall that map I showed you of different urban centers, um, it gives you a certain kind of graphic representation. So your imagination of urbanization is uh, somewhat conditioned by that. Now look at an image like this on the left side, which is um, prepared by the IDFC Institute for insertion into uh, the economic survey 2016-17 in a, in a very significant little chapter, which was called How, How Urban is India? And this, in, in a sense, blows apart one of the big myths, uh, which is that our particular way of measuring the demography of urbanization was itself a distortion of the reality. So what the IDFC Institute did was to map out built-up areas, as they're visible, of course, from satellite data, but nevertheless, um, give you a very different picture when you, uh, you know, if you're not looking at dots on a map, um, that this is how much we have actually built and constructed. And the nature of that uh, built up space, when you zoom into it, shows you the kind of pattern that you see on the right side of the image, which is a pattern of urban centers which have just sprawled. Those, those purple colored areas are the urban sprawl of very small, in this case, very small urban centers in Tamil Nadu. Um, again, something that basically describes what the World Bank uh, described as messy and hidden urbanization. The fact that we didn't have a really good measure on really how urban is India. Now this causes many other kinds of problems and I don't, don't want to go into too much detail on these three maps, but the one in the center is a very interesting exercise we did at NIUA, where we mapped out the growth of built up area and the growth of population together. 
So the map in the center kind of shows you that. So the darkest areas are where the growth of built-up space is actually exceeding the growth of population. Now, these kinds of understandings of urbanization really force you to ask yourself, um, are we essentially looking at a large speculative urbanization that uh, is, of course, going to be a challenge uh, if we have to make it sustainable? Um, added to that, uh, something which, again, McKinsey kind of alludes to in 2010, but is, is sort of the elephant in the room, is the besieged municipality. The municipality, which is almost like a constitutional travesty in some sense, not fully implemented, um, sort of half-born. Um, and if you look at the complexity of these 18 functions, which are described under the 12th schedule of the Constitution of India, uh, uh, these 18 functions describe the kind of challenge uh, that we that we need to address and this has been in a sense surfaced again because of covid-19 and its impacts if you look at those functions so many of those are directly related to public health directly related to access of communities to social protection and uh, not to mention of course disaster uh, management and those kinds of protocols extremely difficult um, uh, and complex space to work in the Indian city. Not to mention that in 2010-11, again, uh, a high-powered expert committee had identified that the, the financing needs of urban India are, are fairly large. And um, I always draw people's attention to the bullet points in the, in the footnotes. Um, basically, even the high-powered expert committee did not factor in the cost of land and the cost of maintenance of cities. So in some senses, we were probably only describing half of the overall financial needs of the urban sector. So we've got besieged municipalities, we've got this hidden and messy urbanization. We don't have enough financial resources to actually build the infrastructure that could convert that urbanization into an asset. And so, you know, basically, we have this enormous resource gap that was identified. And uh, the, the Planning Commission as well said that, look, these are the intractable, seemingly intractable problems that we must focus on, the inclusive uh, cities, urban governance, financing, planning, capacity building, affordable housing. These have to be the, the key pillars of our response. And, um, and this will require a large amount of infra uh, infrastructure investment. So what are the policies and reforms that we've seen in the recent past uh, in response to this overall uh, uh, projection of, of uh, possibilities as well as challenges? Um, there's been a shift in terms of our understanding of cities, of course. And I think COVID-19, again, in terms of the way it has impacted informal livelihoods, home-based work, the way it has uh, uh, also in a com completely a devastating way impacted the real estate market, which was sort of the showpiece of urbanization in India. Um, how do we how do we think differently now about cities? Well, the thinking has been kind of uh, you know it's been articulated over the uh, over the past century almost, right from understanding cities as Jane Jacobs uh, had described in the 1960s, understanding them as well wellsprings of innovation, um, thinking about cities as essentially service economies and knowledge economies, where the flow of ideas, the coming together of a density of talent and skills is actually going to produce economic outcomes. And this is a fairly uh, robust uh, understanding of the city. However, COVID has disrupted that. And I think we are in the process now of 
looking at how that narrative narrative might change, if at all it does. Um, the other reality, of course, from the policy perspective, was the recognition that, in some senses, this is this is a mission that was started uh, uh, at least ten years ago. The recognition of digital India as being a being a backbone, something that governments uh, have always looked at as as being one of the transformative modes of uh, uh, of managing and planning uh, cities and other other kinds of uh, human uh, settlements. Um, then there is, of course, the so-called opportunity of. Uh, integrating your vision of the overall national infrastructure, right? So this is a very roughly put together map I made in 2013, but I hold on to it because I tried in, a, in, in, in fact, I think it was the WSDS conference done by Terry, uh, where I was championing smart cities and showing how the golden quadrilateral, the, the air links, as well as sea links that are being developed uh, and these cities within that matrix of infrastructure could actually have a multiplier effect and the so-called lighthouse effect. Um, whether or not that, that actually works uh, is something that is still uh, debatable. Um, there was also the policy recognition that uh, as, as per studies done by the World Bank, uh, Ejaz Ghani in, in particular, that uh, the, uh, the golden quadrilateral had in the districts that it passed through had actually created economic growth. Uh, had triggered uh, economic development. So, um, you know, there was, there was some kind of a idea that uh, infrastructure can produce uh, economic outcomes. Um, and this, of course, uh, in a sense, all kind of funnels into the, the recent announcement, uh, in fact, in July 2019, of 10 points of a vision, which, which actually lays out infrastructure as being the backbone of a transformation, transformation of, of the entire economy in some sense. Um, I'm, not, I'm not looking at this as a point of debate, but it's, it's very important for us to recognize that from 2014 onwards, the investment in the urban sector and in the infrastructure sector has been unprecedented. Um, and then we look at a specific ministry like the Housing and Urban Affairs Ministry, which basically looks at their various missions as a kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where they deliver affordable housing and poverty alleviation and so on, those kinds of programs to 4,041 cities, and then uh, moving upwards, sort of up the food chain, um, uh, what complete water supply and sanitation uh, for 500 cities, and then these smart cities, 100 cities, which are laboratories for trying out these new uh, ideas around digitalization and uh, and and so on. Um, large amounts of money uh, dedicated to this. If you compare it with the 50,000 crores that was invested in the JNURM from 2005 to 2013, not all of it was spent. Um, an important building block of this urban transformation is the municipality, of course. Like I mentioned earlier, it's besieged by 18 functions for which it doesn't really have the capacity. Um, and it is also now under pressure to reform. Um, so there is this, this mantra of reform, perform, and transform, um, which, which uh, is, is accepted within the government. Um, and this mantra basically uh, looks at cities as uh, having to speed up reforms. Now, this picture was created by an IUA in, in uh, a few years ago, but um, I think it was in 2016, 17. But if you look at the reform implementation after roughly 15 years uh, since uh, since uh, the uh, JNURM was launched, then 
we have a fairly patchy kind of uh, kind of record and especially if you look into the minutiae of reform implementation there are very crucial reforms that don't get uh, implemented uh, you know to the extent that they need to um so definitely municipalities are going to remain one of the problems in terms of our ability to manage urbanization uh, despite the fact that we have a constitutional amendment that uh, uh, you know creates them as the third tiers of governance but they are not empowered enough as dr chatterjee was saying not empowered enough do not have the finances and do not have uh, the uh, you know the famous funds functions and functionaries they don't have all these three um if you look at and and this is where uh, i want you to recall my mention of the map of india and and the need for an overall strategic view um this is the picture you get in terms of reform, reforms implementation within states so between states and you realize that essentially if you leave out andhra pradesh and karnataka maybe chatisgarh uh, as a newer state odisha madhya pradesh um you know you 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 have states that actually have done hardly any implementation of reform so you know overall averages can distort the the picture so we need to think in terms of a federal geography when we talk about this overall narrative and nevertheless have a national uh, strategy and vision um in terms of finances again i don't want to belabor the point but that that yellow colored bar that you see is the is the uh, almost uh, what shall i say uh, rapidly accelerating uh, uh, increase in terms of municipalities dependence on grants uh, so that that blue color which is your your taxation uh, revenues and your non tax revenues the orange these are simply not growing uh, at the same scale as you know if you look at the overall height of the bar that if that represents the need of the city then uh, we are we are certainly falling behind in terms of being able to sustain financially uh, sustain our cities um so why why do we try and reform our cities well, you know how do we eat the fruits of development well uh, this is where the sdgs come in so if you look at the sdg report of 2019 india is you know the red color represents what it does um india is not doing too well in comparison with many other countries um with with whom it actually wants to be treated as an equal um and this is because ultimately urbanization has to be linked to outcomes it has to be linked to producing social goods uh, in in producing public assets in producing uh, a certain quality of life that makes people productive and happy um and if you begin to look at the criteria by which you actually measure those things and fairly granular criteria that are used in the sdg dashboard then you then you can pretty much see the roster of uh, challenges uh which are before us when we when we look at cities and cities are uh you know they might be represented by goal 11 sdg goal 11 however uh if you look at each of these goals that i've kind of put together in one slide you can see that they touch upon so many other goals uh either as producers of say uh emissions or uh you know uh, uh producers of energy or consumers of energy and so on and so forth so uh, you know there's a fairly complex uh set of kpis that cities have to meet if it needs to move towards sustainability um and this is this has been highlighted already 6 years ago uh, the new climate economy work actually talked about globally uh, the 
the, the challenges to urbanization being sustainable. I mean, how do you make it sustainable when inherently it it's a guzzler of energy, it is a guzzler of of space and so on, and 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 also of of human resource. Um, how do you recalibrate this? And I, I I don't want to go into the details of each of these points, but but the important thing here is to recognize that the business as usual uh, uh, way of thinking of urbanization. Even the way in which we assume that the government is the key driver of urbanization in some sense through policy, we must realize that actually we need to break out of those kinds of uh, that, that mythology of cities that I was talking about. We need to break out of that, create a new kind of uh, narrative that, that builds on sustainability as being a key goal. And then what are the necessary conditions to achieve it as being the programmatic uh, uh, necessities? Um, so I want to talk about the Smart Cities mission for no other reason uh, uh, than uh, the fact that I know it closely and also uh, do understand its successes and failures fairly well. Um, and so I thought I'd share my thoughts on this. Um, so there was there was clearly a need to disrupt the way in which things were going in our urban sector. Um, uh, the urban was seen as a silo. It was it was a ministry and it had a certain budget. Um, and there was a need to break that and, and to look at uh, the urban as being a far more transformative uh, uh, goal or a transformative uh, phenomenon, but uh, to think of it outside of the silo of a single ministry. So you begin to, for instance, begin to look at uh, connectivity and, and, and communications feeding into an urban narrative through this kind of a mission. Um, the disruption was, uh, if you recall, I mentioned that Digital India was, was sort of the backbone and it was not only uh, the BJP government in 2014, but uh, the government before that as well that had developed this whole narrative on, on digitalization. It only got a much bigger boost from 2014 onwards. So this, this assumption that, um, that you cannot handle the scale of this country without using uh, this technology, because it offers so many uh, so many advantages, it has its flip sides, of course, and, and, and I think those are well known, and we can debate those as well. Um, but also as a way to change the nature of government as well. So a, a very big component of digital India is e-governance. Uh, so rather than, uh, you know, for instance, we keep thinking that the digital story is about social media and so on. Well, actually, a lot of that was it supposed to be about government, of reforming government using digital uh, technologies. And that continues to be a very, um, what I would call a sort of a solid foundation for, for talking about uh, the smart city uh, concept. Um, I don't want to again go into too much detail in this, but but one of the smart outcomes, and this is sort of less talked about, is that you must realize that building on JNURM, which, which had still stipulated what are the kinds of projects you can take up? The Smart Cities mission broke out of that, and and it's and it gave every city the freedom to visualize, uh, to envision what are its needs. Uh, now this this may seem innocuous, but it's actually transformative because municipalities, which are supposed to deliver those eighteen functions, weren't actually empowered to think about those eighteen functions. They were not thinking about them. So um, you know, in a sense, for the first time in the urban story, we begin to. In a sense, we force 
uh, we change the behavior of municipalities and begin to get them to understand that uh, the city is a lot more than sort of flyovers and, and, and networks of pipes, um, that it is linked to a certain quality of life, a safety, security of its citizens, and so on, and, and many other aspects, which for the first time, uh, young and old municipal commissioners across the country, uh, in more than 100 uh, cities, of course, um, first time they actually put their minds to this. Uh, earlier, there was work done on CDPs for JNURM, but it was still um, uh, within a very tight framework in terms of what kind of projects you were supposed to take up. Um, so what it has done is, again, an extension from CDPs under JNURM, but a very important, um, uh, what shall I say, a very important sort of innovation in that was to get, get neighborhoods and get local areas um, to be the focus of the interpretation of uh, what is smart. Um, and so that if you say, for instance, picked a municipal ward or picked a certain district, you could begin to look at replication of successes from one area to another. Um, that is still part of the evolutionary movement, which, which we are yet to sort of witness, but um, it will have uh, sort of uh, mixed results, I'm pretty sure. Um, what does incremental transformation look like? This is important for, uh, for us to keep in mind. It may not necessarily please our eyes or, uh, or whatever, but uh, this is the way that the city gets reshaped. And I'm using uh, images uh, produced by SEPT University. Um, you know, a, a street in Ahmedabad like this, there is a metro constructed. Now, of course, we can debate whether it should be above ground or not, but it is uh, currently above ground. And it begins to create a sort of a nucleus uh, or, of, of, of urban development and urban renewal. And then the street begins to evolve in response to this infusion of infrastructure and begins to respond up to a point where buildings themselves change their pathologies and so on. Um, this is sort of the, the technical hard-nosed aspect of urban uh, you know, uh, renewal, which, which I think is important for us to be able to visualize. Um, this is my last section and I'll stop after this. Um, urbanization is not an easy road. So like I said in the beginning, we do need to say, rethink our narratives. Um, because essentially, um, the question has to be asked, can we produce more than a single enclave of sustainability or a township which is sustainable? Can we actually deliver sustainable uh, uh, urbanization to all citizens who live in urban areas in this country, which uh, seems to be a tall order given, if you look at these word clouds, given the complexity of demands on cities and, and the, the shortfall in terms of uh, infrastructure and services. Um, so it seems to be a tall order. And, and unless we are able to leverage some transformative or disruptive uh, methodologies for achieving this, we're not uh, going to be able to do that in the business as usual scenarios. So, so we do, do need to ask ourselves some hard questions. For instance, are we choosing the right models? Uh, and, and we don't know as yet really what is the model for the Indian, uh, for the Indian city. So it's an it's a important question to ask ourselves. What, it is, what is it that drives our organization? What, what are we trying to, is everybody in, in a Mofasil town in, in, uh, in India really thinking Singapore or really thinking Las Vegas? Or is the imagination about something else? It's about social social mobility, about economic mobility, and therefore it's it's more defined by the shift from uh, from from say a hut to a concrete flat than it is 
from a concrete flat to a skyscraper you know so um, i think getting that sense is uh, is extremely important and really getting a sense of that imagination of course you know some very famous images uh alan berto's uh, images uh, showing for instance the contrast between the barcelona fabric uh, urban fabric and the atlanta urban fabric now clearly this kind of just shows in stark contrast that if we choose an american model of urbanization or if we choose a more history oriented historical urban urban uh, urbanism as an approach uh, we're going to have two very different outcomes and then of course the important realization that our planning methods themselves are extremely um outdated and and this comes up when you look at for instance the maturity of uh, uh of an approach to planning that you see in for instance the london master plan here on the image on the right where uh, the government only describes what are the broad directions of movement for the urban uh, you know investments in london it doesn't straight jacket that development and i when, when i say straight jacket i should i should use my next image which is essentially what i call the master plan fetish um so we are still pretty much stuck in that fetish that we are using planning technologies and planning methods which are meant for greenfield development which are meant for creating new urban centers which we are applying to dealing with existing urban centers and and the the sort of the continuous failure of the delhi master plan which is sort of the 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 first master plan in that sense um uh, the continuous fail, failure of that to to give direction to the organization in uh, in delhi which is a state um that failure is something that always remains as a reminder that that our methods are wrong so you have to completely revamp your entire approach to urban planning itself if you have to achieve different outcomes um and and the resounding effect this has for instance you know if you look at uh, that that master plan uh, you know master plan 2021 image on the extreme right and you 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 transpose that with uh, sorry juxtapose that with the national capital region plan you realize that this spawning hidden uh, you know messy urbanization that that delhi has been subjected to actually is a much larger phenomenon it actually uh, encompasses now more than um, uh, 30000 square kilometers uh, and 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 millions and and you know more than uh, 30 million people um, so so the scale of this is is understandable just if you look at the ncr itself so we don't need to go farther afield to realize how the organization story is going to unravel for us if we don't get a, a better grip on it um and in order to get a better grip on it we need to ask ourselves some hard questions and this is where urbanization meets reality so to speak because you cannot have sustainable cities if they are divided cities that's that's almost a um it, it's almost a, a direct opposition that that a divided city is not going to be possible to sustain simply because your civic interests your 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 politics within the city are so divided and so fragmented that you can't reach unanimity or consensus on the big moves that need to be made so you know this is just a stark image again showing uh, an old image showing uh, shahjanabad and new delhi latins new delhi divided by this little belt of of green which which actually was as per design it was meant to create a gap between the old and the new 
Um, but as it turns out, it's also become a gap between the rich and the poor. So, you know, these divided cities uh, continue to be our problem. And, and you can see this replayed across across the, the, the country uh, in terms of the sort of balkanization of cities uh, based on social divisions, economic divisions. Um, now, you know, uh, I don't want to belabor this again. Uh, of course, you know, it's a much celebrated model of cooperation, how people come together in town planning schemes in Gujarat and share the, the, uh, the land that they pool together. They share that to build uh, common infrastructure. Fantastic. But again, it has not repeated itself uh, all over the geography of the country. So, so in a sense, we do need to look at what are those, those models of cooperation that can work in different locations uh, and, and different states and regions in the country that can help us to fix our cities. Um, and of course, very importantly, there is very little scientific temper uh, in most of the operations uh, because they are done in and most of the operations of cities in our country are still in a sense in that socialist mode. They're not driven by accountability or process. They're not dri driven to be safer or to be more efficient and so on. So can we leverage science and can we be more scientific about our cities? And lastly, I mean, and this is my, my last slide. This is something that the Ministry of uh, Housing and Urban Affairs is working on, uh, something I was also closely part of, which is that can we leverage the city as an ecosystem? And, and that's the crucial thing. Um, we have travesties like, for instance, you know, IMPRI being in Delhi, but IMPRI not informing urban policy in Delhi, or JNU and IIT being in Delhi and hardly any interaction with policymaking or program implementation in the in the city. This is a travesty. Delhi is a city, for instance, of of uh, universities, colleges, educational institutions. It's an it's an education hub, one of the biggest in the world, and yet it doesn't harness its talents and its educated population to the extent that it can. And this is simply because there is no um, uh, uh, sort of a no system by which we are we are able to do this. And so uh, the important thing here was, uh, I won't go into details, but the important thing here was to bring all of the stakeholders of the city together. And that itself gives you transformative possibilities. Now, the thing is, you need conveners for this. And, and clearly, that means there need to be those many think tanks, those many research centers that are part of that convening. But it all needs to come together. And really, what the city needs is a kind of an innovation hub um, that is is created for the sole purpose of bringing the ecosystem together to address local problems. We don't have this, so in some senses, you need to have 4,041 of these. Now, clearly, that's impossible, but um, we can make a strong move towards that if we begin to work through that geography and begin to identify that geography of innovation that uh, can help us transform the cities. I'll stop there. I think uh, that's that's my last slide. Um, and uh, I hope that there is, there is an overall sense at least of the narrative I'm talking about, but uh, equally well a recognition of uh, the kinds of challenges I've talked about as well. Um, so um, back to you, Dr. Chattopadhyay. I, I think I've taken a lot more than my time, but uh, uh, let me just stop sharing one second. Yeah, I'm back. Okay. I can't hear you. I think you're on mute. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you, Professor Shah, for your uh, very interesting lecture and also some of the uh, provocative ideas and thoughts uh, which you have provided in your lecture, right? You have really uh, drew your attention to the transformative power of the Indian cities. 
and uh, it's really true that we must uh, leverage our urbanization as a as a as a force for good and uh, you you mentioned about some of the peculiarities of urban india and which is uh, summed up in uh, this uh, two words like it is hidden as well as at the same time messy and for example you mentioned about one in a report where uh, the growth of built up area is actually exceeding the growth of population which makes the attainment of sustainability all the more difficult and uh, also you mentioned about the uh, the 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 regularities in the functional domain uh, functional domain of the urban local bodies uh, which was accrued after the 74th constitutional amendment act so uh, there has been enlargement of the functional domain of the urban local bodies and many of the functions which are related to these uh, directly related to this covid 19 uh, phenomenon and all these things and then uh, you uh, talked about some of the reforms uh, which uh, we are initiated uh, in the government of India's program, be it GNUADM and all these things. And however, uh, uh, the status of implementation of all those reforms have been pathetic. And uh, so, so as a way forward, uh, uh, as you mentioned, like we need to uh, link the urbanization to certain, certain outcomes to make the citizens happy, to make the cities livable and so on and so forth. And, 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 and uh, also uh, we need to rethink our narratives uh, 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 for example, lastly, you have to uh, mention about this model of cooperation, uh, and we need to search for such models of cooperation which would uh, work in different contexts, because all of our cities are uh, not equal, so we should not look for one size fit for all approach, rather our uh, approach to the urban solution should be place based. So, uh, uh, it's, well, thank you. Thank you very much for your presentation. Now, now let me just uh, go back to our uh, to discuss and so uh, may I now request uh, Dr. Dipti Jain, Jain uh, to uh, have your observation, comments, or any questions which you have on uh, Professor Shah's lecture. So, thank you, uh, thank you, Dr. Somathip. Uh, uh, thank you, Dr. Javin Shah. It was an interesting uh, uh, definition of how urbanization is taking place and what are the respective challenges with respect to India. And I really liked uh, when you introduced uh, about the different models approach of development that uh, Indian cities can take and what could be the negatives. Uh, and specifically in the today's time when we are trying to meet the agenda of economic growth and the growth of the cities, providing citizens with better quality of life, but also trying to meet the agendas of sustainable development. So uh, with regard to this, I have uh, two specific points to uh, look forward to and probably involve into a discussion. So one is related to that the cities are expanding, resulting in urban agglomerization and ruralization, uh, ru uh, urban, uh, uh, which we can say conversion of rural areas into the urban areas. And uh, uh, then to support that expansion and uh, because there's a massive need for the infrastructure, we are now building uh, mass transport infrastructure that, that helps connecting these distant spaces within a shorter span of time. But isn't this approach leading towards supporting more and more expansion because people can reach far off places within a short span of time? And uh, then how does the existing development policies planning framework can help in you know, balancing this act of expanding infrastructure to meet the requirements versus uh, um, the need to, uh, to reduce the impact of expansion. 
if if you would like to respond or should i share uh, another question as well uh, let, let me let me just respond very quickly to that uh, deepthi thanks very much for pointing that out actually i think i sh i missed talking about this aspect um so i think you're 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 absolutely right i mean we can't be looking at uh, urban sprawl basically also in the form of rural centers uh, you know in a sense having a haphazard kind of relationship with urban centers um but i think we should recognize that decentralization now is a distinct possibility and another very distinct possibility is to build the discourse right now after covid for the containment of urban areas you see we've never been able to think of this because we've we've always been in favor of urbanization at all, at at any cost so to speak but now after covid a lot of our built space for instance is lying empty and it will continue to lie empty because uh, businesses and 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 communities are going to go online in many ways um we need to repurpose the city so it's a unique opportunity for us to in a sense accommodate things that we were earlier not able to accommodate so if we have vision we can begin to define urban centers in a far stricter way than we do currently because of peri urban sprawl so really uh, glad that you pointed that out thanks very much uh, another important point uh, and that relates to the current situation that most of our cities are facing uh, in fact uh, uh, the pandemic situation that has put up and all of us under certain stress and we have seen uh, loss of employment in both formal and informal sectors and particularly it has worsely hit few of the sectors where uh, urban most of the urban cities were supporting that kind of uh, uh, employment as well as people to live and work there and you have rightly pointed out that uh, it will result in somewhere empty spaces and we need to probably re redefine the urban centers to able to be able to account for the changes that are happening but in light of this are are we not going to see that the population is going to move to more towards the second and third year of the cities or to the areas that are still undergoing uh, the process of urbanization uh, and uh, uh, combined with the economic reforms combined with the economic development that is happening in the rural areas and again coming back to the uh, development of mass transit infrastructure or Uh, the infrastructure that results in better connectivity between these spaces how all of these dimensions and then combined with the pandemic situation is going to pose further questions on sustainability of the cities on sustainability of the development uh, uh, in indian uh, in indian uh, uh, context thanks um, no i think i think you you're you're right to point out that this um, mass uh, transit kind of systems which are connecting um uh, regions rather than just cities um these these are going to create new opportunities as well as new problems um i i think it's it's really important for us to understand that the uh, it's going to be economic growth that will decide who migrates where right so um people migrate almost like like they're being attracted to a magnet they migrate to economic centers now what is going to be the emerging geography of economic centers after covid is going to be an interesting uh, question to ask ourselves because um it used to be on the basis of certain assumptions about how the market works and investment works now those assumptions themselves have changed 
Um, so your your manpower availability, for instance, is no longer, at least in certain industries, which are service industries, no longer determined by space, by, by location as such. Um, so why would you create offices where you bring people together in one place? These kinds of questions will have their own uh, uh, you know, impacts. I think, again, I would say that what you're mentioning is an opportunity, um, which is to restructure the balance, so to speak, between urban centers and rural centers. Um, we need to address one major need, which is food production. And, and that, that will sooner or later loom as a big problem for us. Right now, we're still struggling with water. Um, but if we can manage a urban system, which is well integrated with the so-called rural system, you know, and go down to district level planning, we can balance this. Uh, we can we can do that, but it has to be the result of planning. It it will not be the result of chance, because the results of chance are uh, you know very visible to us, and that's the kind of urban sprawl we are dealing with, which is clearly going to be unsustainable. Uh, thank you. Uh, over to you, Dr. Somadhi. Well, thank you, thank you, and let us move to uh, Dr. Mukta. So if you please have your uh, observation, comments, and questions, if any. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Shamideep. Uh, Jagan, fascinating presentation really tied together a lot of different uh, uh, disciplinary entry points, uh, but also sort of uh, gave, you know, a, a sort of a laundry list of the problems and some possible solutions. I just wanted to build on the things that Deepthi had said, uh, speaking, uh, sort of building off your, uh, you know, your visual of the infrastructure corridors and then bringing in this rural urban regional kind of thought and and looking at uh, you know along the economic corridors uh, delhi mumbai industrial corridor etc a lot of new urbanization has happened but all this all of this new urbanization is not it's economic growth with some sort of demographic growth not necessarily an explosive demographic growth so just just sort of linking your point about about migration and 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 the conundrum that migration itself is actually a factor in this hesitant urbanization where you have people coming into the city but not really settling down and uh, just just to compare i mean uh, traditional uh, countries in the north which have grown through that model in terms of migrants coming in and then settling into the city is not something that has been uh, the, the trend in india for centuries so so is uh, you know this mckinsey kind of uh, what you call the myth of urbanization also sort of premising itself on a pattern of migration in which people come in pursuit of economic opportunity, but then they settle and then the city becomes this dense place with information flows and ideas and, and the creative city and all of that good stuff happens. And where the densities then allow for these improvements in infrastructure and, and the investments and the, the financing. So, I mean, this, this whole business is a little bit linked and, and the messiness is not just in the way we've been managing our urban problems. The messiness is in that we don't have a very clear understanding of what kind of migration we want to how does migration and urbanization actually interlink if we are assuming which is what i think the working assumption is that the labor will just sort of float around and it's like water finding its level it will just go wherever the economic opportunities are and that there is actually an advantage in keeping them in this sort of floating space um, which means that you do not really make a concrete attempt to skill labor 
to higher skilled, higher paying, better quality jobs, which then map to certain quality of urbanization. So I'm linking that back to these large, vast amounts of urban spaces that are not at the smart city level, that are not even tier two, tier three, but far below, but which are becoming important economically because of the large logistics infrastructure that we've put in, but we don't seem to have much to say about what, how we will urbanize these if people are not going to go there and settle. So is COVID that opportunity where, you know, you can actually think about picking hundred of these locations across working with state government and linking into your federal geography statement here and, and saying, let's pick this other cohort. Smart cities is one cohort. Let's pick this other cohort, which is one level above your urban, but, but actually has the potential and, and, and is sort of nascent enough in their urbanization trajectory for us to be able to experiment with some of these transformations that maybe we're not really able to do in large and already sort of developed uh, or, or sprawled cities. So it's, it's a bit of a bit of a mixed mishmash of all the different strands. But really, that's the big question. I mean, where do we focus our energies? Uh, given COVID has 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 thrown up some some interesting disruptions. Thanks, Bukta. Um, um, lots of very interesting questions there. I'll, I'll try and <clears throat> I'll try and address the ones that I could I could sort of find an articulate answer for. Um, I think I think you're spot on. Of course, this new urbanization is is not just about you know jobs and establishments and enterprises. It's it's also got to do with with the labor force that that moves around you know uh, uh, from here to there. And you know, in that sense. Um, what is the vision that we have of urbanization that actually accommodates and makes makes it um, attractive for people to stay and and find roots? Well, I mean, I, to 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 offer an easy answer, I mean, you know this better than I do. It's housing, of course. The cities do not provide for uh, housing or don't provide for um, uh, you know certain kinds of housing. In our case, we have we have of course bothered. Uh, very little about the the entire sort of bulk of our population that needs to find housing. I think these are political economy issues that need to be corrected. And you know, for instance, um, however however critical one might be of the slum redevelopment uh, policy in Mumbai, at some fundamental level, the idea that the uh, uh, the Mumbai um, uh, government decided to give free flats to slum dwellers. Now that's, that's how political economy uh, begins to affect things, right, affect policy. Now, um, how much of a, of a burden is it on our economy to make sure that everybody is housed? Let's ask, ask ourselves those kinds of questions. Um, because fundamentally, it's, it's, it's got to be an urbanization that accommodates everybody, is inclusive enough so that the person who's building the building is able to also find a home in that same city, not necessarily in the same building. You know, So unless we are able to include everybody in the forward vision for our cities and not think of them as enclaves, and this has got to do with my point about divided cities, unless we do that, we will, uh, we will continue to face this, this same problem, that, that nobody is able to dig roots or, or, or find roots in our cities. Um, at the same time, what is fundamental here is standards. Uh, and, and if you're able to provide the same standard of infrastructure uh, across the country, across all the cities, you will actually be able to uh, make people 
sort of free from the shackles of having to settle in one particular city. In some sense, it also becomes a trap because your housing needs are fragile and therefore your economic, uh, you know, your economic uh, uh, performance it becomes becomes fragile because of that. Um, so, I think it's a it's a cluster of issues, Mukta, that you've raised. I uh, you know uh, all of them all of them extremely um, uh, valid points. Um, clearly, what it what it does underline is that we need to have a more measured approach to the uh, to the urbanization phenomenon, and in that to make sure that we build in the health systems that that work together with the housing. Uh, supply as well as the economic development uh, that we that we seem to have focused too much on uh, and and forgotten to really focus on the other aspects. Um, but it's a it's a, it's a it's a dynamic situation, and I think I think these uh, these kinds of questions uh, should land actually in in policy terms. We should make sure it does. I, I had a, another sort of related question, but more speaking to your your uh, your your commentary on scale and on local area plans as part of the smart cities mission. So this localization of of innovations and ideas and 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 stuff. How does it sort of how does it speak to the idea of participation or re rethinking planning not as the master plan but as something else that that could evolve from the ground and actually have a very different uh, uh, language and is is that something that 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 we can move towards especially because the needs are so so varied uh, across the country yeah i i think uh, i mean the answer is yes i think we can move there um i think we can enable processes that empower local communities to have a much bigger role in the planning and the management of their own lived environments um it is it is something which I believe is only doable because now we have digital backbones, and that's part of the argument for, uh, you know, the so-called smart city. It's not. It's not about surveillance cameras. It's really about the systems solution. So cities as systems of systems, and these systems are only manageable um, if you use technology as a backbone. But it sounds very distant from communities. Now the point is that our communities are already. Um, what shall I say? I mean, they're they're already linked in to this digital economy. Uh, it's a question of the uh, government actually moving more and more processes and making them accessible to communities. So the time that goes into public dealings in government needs to be time of deliberation and decision-making rather than of delivery per se, so that you don't have to, you know, because with limited capacities, municipalities cannot handle, for instance, uh, a discursive process of meeting with local communities, arriving at, you know, the scale is just staggering, you know, because that has to be done at ward level. So the community has to take charge of it. Interestingly, I think the government of Odisha is, is cracking the problem, for instance, you know, and you know this very well, um, because if they're going to make slum dwellers associations a, a sort of a what shall I say? They're they're as close as you can get to what we used to say about area savas under the JNURM. Um, but you know, if you can get that kind of a geography working, which they have already done through policy, then you know you, we really are talking about um, sort of grassroots level change, which can then sort of you know uh, consolidate at a city level as well. And I don't mean to say that this needs to be denied to people of any class. You know that the community level. Uh, involvement and management needs to be actually a responsibility that is given to every community, whether it's rich or poor. Um, and, and they need to account for 
their performance. But today, you know, we have we will have a uh, a huge problem if we demand that we even measure the water supply being consumed by households. You know, so you know the kind of plank on which there was a certain kind of egalitarian decision taken in some cities. So you know, um, I think I think this is very doable, and and we can we can help communities to manage this. Uh, better, but they need to be part of the finding of solutions. Otherwise, communities will choose to be NIMBY communities, not in my backyard communities, because then there is no, there is no onus or responsibility for, uh, for the commons. You know, if the city assumes the sole responsibility for the commons, then what are the people going to do? You know, so I think I think these are these are questions that that allow for debate and allow for uh, engagement with the political economy. And I think uh, what COVID has done really is just made us or should make us highly co uh, conscious of something as simple as, again, you're familiar with this, an indicator which says how much per capita access to open space do you have? You know, And if you begin to ask just that one question in all our cities, you will, in a sense, get a uh, you know, a, a complete revelation about, you know, what is the problem in our cities. Uh, so, so I think, uh, I, I, I think these are, these are the kinds of questions that will help us uh, refine our urban approach as we go forward. Thank you, Jagan. I'll, I'll hand over to the chair. Thank you. Uh, well, uh, I think uh, Dr. Jain has a question or any remark. Okay, please. Yeah. Please. Uh, Remark and probably we all can discuss the potential of the data uh, in terms of solving the problems of the cities and specifically uh, with the Digital India campaign and a lot of data being collected by the municipal corporations and different authorities, whether it's in terms of the infrastructure supply or who are connected to the different kinds of infrastructure and who are the users, uh, which areas are being supplied, what are the property taxes, who uh, and the, they're forgetting the a better idea of the distribution of population, which did not exist at least till last five years. So I would rather say we didn't have that kind of information at hand. And now most of the cities are collecting that kind of data. Now, the challenge with the data is that first, that data is made available to the people who, who would want to use it. And uh, then obviously there is some level of, of uh, abstraction because you also not only need to protect the data, but also you need to protect your infrastructure and your services as well as your population. So uh, how do you see now when the cities have started, you know, collecting these uh, data in different formats, um, what kind of platforms can be made available to the, to the uh, people, to the citizens, as well as to the planners, uh, architects who are, uh, uh, who are uh, part of this process of planning who are, uh, who are part of the process, uh, who are, you can say, the relevant stakeholders in terms of contributing towards the changes that the cities are seeing? Um, I think, great question. Um, I, I think, you know, data is something which, of course, we, we are talking about it. It's a new oil. Um, but, um, but we must recognize the sort of nuance uh, attached to data. For instance, you know, yes, there's a lot of data out in the public domain. If you actually begin to aggregate how many different sources of data there are in the public domain that tell you about government departments, their performance, and so on. Um, it, it, uh, it, it's possible to see that, but it's of no use to most of us. Uh, you know, the, the, the problem is that unless urban data systems establish uh, a coherent single source 
or, or what, what we refer to as a single source of truth. Um, data systems in and of themselves are not, not very useful. Um, unless we are able to remove the, the, the contravention and the contradictions that come between different departments holding data, it doesn't work. So before the government can make data available, which is, of course, a desirable thing, the government needs to first create that single source of truth. We haven't reached there yet. Um, and then basically we, we will then be faced with simply the prospect of making certain data sets available and others not. But we haven't even reached the point where the same government has two different departments that are still having two different data sets. Right. So, so it's a, it's, it's, I think a work in progress. Uh, in fact, the, on the policy front, the, um, uh, the urban ministry has brought out the idea of an urban data exchange. Um, Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore is working on this, but it's a tough, you know, it's again a tough thing to crack unless we make sure that the policy environment is conducive. And I don't believe the larger policy environment has overcome the basic resistance to sharing data. So that basic, what I would call the transparency stumbling block, we haven't crossed that yet. We haven't accepted that transparency is a good thing as yet, you know, in the in the larger political economy. We need to cross that. That's that's absolutely true. And uh, uh, the institutes, the organizations that hold the data, uh, they are themselves not very sure about their data collect collection mechanism. I mean, once a survey is conducted, for example, by an agency, then that survey is basically the data is, belongs to the public domain. It should belong to the public domain because it's the data of the public only. And uh, somewhere the collection is also funded indirectly by the public funds only. But yes, uh, uh, we can keep on debating on both the quality and availability and uh, utility of, of the data sources. But I think that is where some somewhere the future is also lying in towards exploring these uh, 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 data and how it can help further help the uh, urban planning environment uh, better uh, uh, and provide better information decision making in, into the hands of the decision makers. So, yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, uh, but, but we must recognize that we always work with data. It's just that we now have yeah. a lot more data. Um, lot so, more data. you know, we've yeah. always been informed by data, but uh, we just have so much more. And we don't as yet have a full command of the sciences that uh, will give us the kinds of data that we actually need. But I just wanted to also stress one other point, which is what I said uh, to a response earlier, which is about containment of the city. I think it's really important for uh, Indian cities to decide that these are limits of the city, that this much and no more is going to be our urban area. Uh, Delhi has been forced into it in some sense. So we think that everybody's like Delhi, but they're not. I mean, people are just, you know, uh, the... Uh, Chennai and Bangalore, they've, they've expanded their, their urban limits uh, to, you know, by dramatic thousands of uh, kilometers, you know, so um, we need to actually deal with that one basic issue. Um, can we contain the city, then we can actually build on these uh, narratives on data and, and decision making. Thank you. Thanks. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you. So uh, before uh, going to Arjun, so let me uh, ask uh, Professor Shah some of my uh, questions or queries. Like you mentioned about that, uh, that the needs of the cities are manifold and, and there are multiple, uh, multiple policy solutions. So some of these reforms, as we know, can be implemented uh, relatively quickly, while others may require a significant rethink 
for example, uh, in order to get planning right, uh, having high capacity within the urban local bodies is, is extremely important. So how can the policymakers sequence the reforms needed uh, which are required for over the short term or medium term or long term. So this is my first uh, query. And second is, again, uh, you, uh, like it is imperative to use the policy solutions that, that work in other developed parts of the world. For example, uh, in our policy rhetoric, we, we find mentions of, mention of, of, of walling the cities, making Mumbai, Shanghai, or, or Bangalore, Singapore. So, but the socioeconomic realities of the Indian cities are, are different as well as complex. So, so what should be the policy approaches to tailor the solutions for our cities? And, and, and lastly, uh, and the thirdly, uh, the, how do the plan makers take into account these post-COVID social norms? Uh, you mentioned about the public spaces and all these things. So public spaces, mobility, the changes in uh, work patterns and housing and all those things while, while laying, out, laying out the guidelines for city planning. So what are the challenges and what are the policy options? Um, thank you, Dr. Chattopadhyay. I'll try and uh, give coherent answers to this. Um, I think the question about sequencing of reforms is a really interesting one. Um, you know, are there low-hanging fruit in terms of reform? Um, well, certainly there are. I mean, just just getting your um, you know bookkeeping sorted out and and having uh, you know proper software to manage your finance and accounts. That's that's a low-hanging fruit. You can you can do that soon, but it doesn't actually show its impacts until it actually moves into the say the collection of taxes as well, and and begins to connect with that. So, um, I think the important thing is that the reforms can be done sequentially and are being done sequentially. But until the entire reform ecosystem is in place and they are they are integrated with each other, they don't actually show the full uh, uh, you know full impact of reform. So um, reforms can remain on paper, for instance. You know, reforms uh, very often do remain on paper. Um, so, you know, we've, we've found all kinds of different narratives coming out of the reform assessment uh, story, which NIUA was closely involved in. Um, but, you know, I don't, I can't go into those details right now. Uh, but I would just say that the sequences, is, sequencing is important, but the end goal is equally important which is that these are all steps towards achieving a full reform uh, you know, environment. A reform um, in municipality is, is about the total municipality. It, it cuts through and lists out different kinds of reforms which are supposed to be done in different uh, phases. But until you actually reach the end state, you don't, you don't achieve the full impact of, of reforms. Uh, so that's crucial. So, so take, for instance, land titles. So you're doing a land titling uh, scheme, but you're doing it at the state level. It doesn't necessarily um, uh, combine with property tax records of the city, right? So th those kinds of disjunctions, those have to be taken care of. I think um, <clears throat> I think this point about, you know, urban settlements and their imaginations about uh, New York and so on, I, th I think I mentioned in my, uh, in my talk that, that this is something we need to question. Does everybody have Shanghai and New York and, and Singapore in their minds, uh, you know, when they're thinking the city? Um, I, I would argue not. You know, they, they, their, their, their vision and their, their world is a lot about their economic mobility, uh, as in all cases for us. Uh, as well, I mean, for, for anybody uh, living in the city. So um, I think I think that that imagination is something worth looking at, but but it's it's still still a subject in itself. I think um, on the post-COVID uh, impacts, 
Well, uh, everybody's looking forward to a vaccine. That's number one. They think that they will go back to business as usual, right? Um, likewise, uh, people might be, uh, you know, going back to using the city. We've seeing, we are seeing it already in the holiday season recently. We saw it everywhere. Um, but I think the key point here is that the rationale for what drove our development of the city, that rationale has been somewhat shaken. The rationale was fundamentally that you're creating growth centers, you are creating growth clusters. So if you think of the, the semantics of all of this, it's all about bringing people together in one place. Mm -hmm. Now we need to ask ourselves, why should people come together in one place? And it seems that in most of the industries that, that we are looking at as growth industries, coming together in one place is no longer necessary, right? It's not a necessary thing. It is. It might be desirable, but then within certain conditions. So you, you're you you have you have now seen a city which has been torn apart at its very fundamental level, uh, right? Because modern town planning was about giving enough space for living, recreation, work, sports, transportation, and so on. Suddenly, we are, you know, we are broken out of those silos, and so you can begin to repurpose the city altogether. Now, if we have the vision to do that uh, and the systems in place to make that happen, then the post-COVID Indian city can actually be a lot better city than it used to be. If we can reinforce standards, if we can implement standards, give people e equal access to open space, uh, which is fundamental to a healthy lifestyle, you know, if we can do all of this, um, then we can uh, you know, cash in, so to speak, on the post-COVID impact. And I think it's got fundamentally to do with the way we use urban space. I think our assumptions about urban space have been completely, uh, you know, uh, uh, what shall I say, have been torn apart uh, by COVID. Um, because it's also our assumptions about location, for instance, uh, has changed, right? Not just our own location, but locations of other functions within the city have changed. So um, if you look at the way the health system is is moving in the direction of digitalization, for instance, which is actually a good thing, especially in the health system. Um, the way that transportation is giving access in much more systematic ways because of the use of technology. Um, these, these are all these are all sort of trends, I would say, which which will throw up new possibilities. I see Mukta has been writing in the chat bar, but I can't. This just, they just like uh, stream of consciousness kind of comments. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the second, the third, right. third aspect is very interesting. Like what happens to the informal livelihoods if the city is no longer a dense agglomeration? So I think the quality so, um, of is something I, that we need to think about. So think about, yes. Yeah. I, I think yeah, but I, I, Yeah, so sorry. No, I was just saying that that I I think in terms of in, informality, I think it's not just um, you know just a particular kind of social uh, sorry not social but spatial fabric that was creating that was not creating informality. Informality is also created because of uh, family-owned, home-based work, small businesses which are owned by families, therefore that can share the same space, um, certain access to. Um, open spaces that can be encroached or used in different ways, uh, multi-purpose spaces. I, I think it's a very complex place. So, so the informal sector, I don't think, is is leaving us in any near future. It is pretty much, uh, uh, you know, like like the 
the lifeblood, so to speak, of a lot of our cities. Um, but it will certainly formalize. And in what what forms should will it actually take um, is is a question that we need to look out for. But I don't think we can close the debate today on this. Yes, one of the SDGs also decent jobs. So I hope. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, Absolutely. But I think that connects to Deepthi's question about a more rural urban, balanced rural urban uh, development. But, you know, frankly, it's so interesting that in, in terms of policy as well, there is there is uh, sometimes blindness. Uh, to me, one of the most exciting missions of the government is the Dindyal Upadhyay urban mission. Uh, and it's the least discussed. I mean, you know, we don't even discuss that mission. And yet it's there. It's actually building rural clusters. It is doing spatial planning for rural clusters. It's looking at economic development in a far more structured way. But no think tank, no research institute is looking at the urban mission. Well, you know, interestingly, there's a, there's a lot more. I hope you are because there's a lot more ink, uh, you know, uh, wasted on the smart city mission. And I think we should spend a lot more of that on the urban mission. Yes, uh, and also it was Shyam Prasad Mukherjee, Rabban. Cluster. Oh, sorry. Yes, Shama Prasad Mukherjee, not okay. not Deen Dayal Upadhyay. I, yes. I stand corrected. Thanks. Okay. Let me also add a few points which I really uh, wanted. First of all, let me congratulate you for really giving us the the, the recent uh, history lens of what has happened in the last two decades. Uh, really starting from reluctant urbanization, the the MGI report, and then World Bank Messi and Hidden. Also touching upon HPEC, uh, uh, that was really uh, you know one thing we keep uh, losing track. And uh, that too, because education health was the other part. And 20 lakh crores was almost the uh, investment in O&M and the 12th plan. And then touching upon New India. And uh, then now we have something called National Infrastructure Pipeline. Uh, now we also have Industrial Corridor. We are, we are, we are you know, envisaging not only Industrial Corridors, but also within the states, for example, UP, many new expressways coming and townships coming. Uh, uh, and then we have NUPF and budget, ARHC, many things coming upon. So based on this, one question, sir, which I really wanted to ask was on institutions that uh, a, for smart city also, we tried to add SPB, uh, uh, which was a lot debated in the initial years uh, after the launch of smart cities. Then there was this component of private participation. And uh, now as it yields out, the problem really is of capacity and skill, sir, as you have been mentioning. And uh, uh, within this, uh, uh, ma'am also raised the question that uh, uh, what should we do? Should we focus on smaller cities? Uh, so I would say, should we focus on greenfield projects rather than downfield projects? Because brownfield projects are, you know, the political, local political economy and so many dimensions. So what, uh, how do you see in terms of projects, uh, uh, the smart cities approach has been and where the focus should be? Because if we look from the deprivation side, uh, then this becomes very important, but uh, but when we see how it can be done, then it becomes very different. And uh, when we are looking in terms of institution, all the times we are saying that we should integrate, integrate. But in practice, we have so many parastatals, so many SPVs. And whenever we are trying to do something, we are creating something new. Uh, I would say that which has its uh, uh, specialization and the ability to do so many of uh, legal tender, so many of things to do. But in the essence, that is, uh, I, I see that as a uh, as so, sir. How do you see the role of institution should be uh, so that uh, things do have liver? Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, DDA has thirty thousand crore rupees in their bank account. DSI, IDC have more than thirty thousand, forty thousand flats built up, and you know the construction and that part. And uh, uh, related to the that the data part, 
which we really discussed. Uh, uh, we have the MIS data, day envelope data also, but from last one, two years, even that, uh, you know, data is not coming up. Even the, those MIS data, uh, I think in the last decade, that data was really good. All the researcher, especially accountability initiative at CPR, really used to track a lot of the schemes. Uh, but based on that, uh, so when you were there in NIU, two very important things came up. One was ease of uh, doing business and one was ease of living index. Uh, you know, there was some formulation that, okay, we are going there and uh, uh, with this, we can, you know, have the service level benchmarks and other also, and we will follow this matrix uh, to go forward. Uh, but sir, as we see, and as, as it happens, uh, we are not, not able to do it. And the private enterprises, uh, organization like us or any can come up with three reports uh, until the methodology is being finalized. Uh, be it foreign agencies or uh, everyone is able to do. And uh, while this this business as usual scenario, what is happening, that there is a lot of rent seeking, a lot of corruption, construction going on. And, uh, you know, the as you mentioned, the, the, the BAU, the business as usual scenario, uh, are we getting into some urban sector, sector reform or governance conundrum? Or how do you see the reforms taking place? Uh, I remember when the tool plan and all these things going on, and we Indian really as argumentative Indians, so reform, how do we see? Uh, uh, Alwalia sir really uh, uh, mentioned that the, the reforms which are slow and steady are the strong ones. So uh, we learned something from there also for our urban sector. And then Sindhushri ma'am also uh, when she was at Niti Aayog, she also said that no, okay, we are having so much of reforms, scale with come with the time and velocity. And it did come as SBM and many of those things. Uh, but uh, uh, really, it is not going forward. And uh, in the critique of Smart City, myself and Sonia Deepsar also argued that why not uh, invite more of the global players, more of the countries to our cities to make it open, discuss about it at least. And so how should the approach also be for the cities to having more of international cooperation or talking to each other? Uh, where does this leadership lie? Or are we missing out one of the very important component which... Uh, so, so Vivek Debroy, uh, whenever he visits Jharkhand, uh, really raises a lot that uh, the most important reform is of law and order uh, and of governance. So are we missing that very leadership, that component in our reform part in urban sector or how this business as usual or this circle can uh, be stopped and we can you know, transform our urban sector in your experience? So many questions. Big questions. <laughs> big questions, actually. Not so many, but big. <clears throat> I think I'll, um, let, me, let me just start with the last one, what you said, you know, about sort of uh, uh, opening it up more to international players and so on and so forth. I think, I think this is really a very straightforward issue to do with the way we do business. Uh, we may have more ease of doing business, but the way we do business does it, for instance, retain competition does it actually leverage competition you know these are these are larger governance issues and um uh, you know i often thought why why do these urban contracts and so on not get scrutinized by something like the competition commission for india uh, you know are are we really uh, leveraging the power of the market um, I would argue in many cases we don't, but of course, in some cases we do. It depends a lot on uh, what kind of contract it is, what kind of technology or what kind of uh, input is required. Um, but having said that, on the whole, I think we just haven't done what, uh, you know, the UK government, for instance, talks about market development. 
in in almost every contract there's essentially you're you're developing the market with every infusion of funding into the market um we don't do that uh, you know for instance there's no there's no questioning that i am aware of between well should should all of these contracts basically be offered to local contractors or should we open it up to the whole country or the whole world or alternately should this be only open to global contracts and uh, you know not necessarily open to people well you know so we we have a kind of a mishmash of preferences with regard to the way we structure the market uh, or or the market uh, interface with us uh, and i think uh, governments certainly need to be more uh, you know um uh, circumspect about that i believe niti aayog is is working a lot on you know looking at shaking up the procurement system i'm not quite sure in which direction that's going to go but uh, having said that it is it is um something that the government is aware of uh, to come to your first question about institutions and spvs and so on um this is clearly an element uh, that has created a lot of uh controversy to my understanding it's a needless controversy if we if we had uh hand given the hand holding to uh, cities to actually get their uh sort of institutional structure right um one i believe one one problem was that we didn't include the elected representatives well enough they weren't well structured into the boards of these spvs if they had been i think the outcomes would have been very different so in some senses the the uh, uh, division of labor or the balance of power at the local level was a very critical thing and we took uh, took a sort of a central program into a domain where there are municipal acts and state level priorities and state level preferences and we tried to impose on them a standardized uh, approach uh, interestingly throughout the story of the smart city mission that was not the case uh, in fact in the in its earliest forms it was for municipalities and then uh, you know in 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 the government's wisdom this spv provision was was created um i think that debate will continue uh, whether or not it works doesn't work um but but i think that 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 was uh, you know, a, a sort of a debatable kind of uh, should be focused more on that given the systems by which land is acquired and uh, you know the the finance required to acquire land unless we go into a much more large scale uh, you know uh, uh, phenomenon like you like you can see in um, in some parts of the country I, i mentioned the town planning scheme for instance unless we see those kinds of ways in which landowners come together themselves um, you know you're really not going to be able to do a lot of significant so Uh, development but as i said uh, especially after covid you can refashion the entire city you can in a sense the market is going to operate very differently now uh, you know after the impacts of covid so uh, you know it's a great opportunity but but we don't quite know uh, how to use it uh, and and that's clearly a sort of policy gap i think um rental housing is important but we haven't quite figured out how rental housing is going to play out in a city after covid you know so those kinds of questions will remain i i'll, I'll stop there i mean just in the interest of time I, i also see that we are we are way past our uh our time uh time slot um but happy to continue to engage on these kinds of questions yeah thank you samyadeep sir over to you study your mic yeah well thank you thank you so yes 
we would love to hear more from you but again uh, on the time of uh, interest so let me let us just uh, end this session here on a just uh, if we want to conclude so uh, as it is uh, very much evident from today's discussion that uh, this uh, well planned cities are, are are easier to manage both in times of health emergencies like this covid 19s and also in regular times and so indian cities need urgent reform in order to unlock their economic potential and transform the quality of life and and reforms must focus on addressing uh, the systemic dysfunctions for example the planning regulations governance structure urban finance and so on that hold our cities back so uh, well so with this uh, uh, again uh, on behalf of the team impri uh, i uh, we are thankful to professor shah and also our two very distinguished Uh, discussions, uh, Dr. Mukta Nayak and Dr. Deepthi uh, Jain. So we we are actually we have been organizing this uh, as hashtag city conversation series for the last one or two months, and also we will uh, hopeful to continue with this kind of conversation. So we look forward to your presence uh, in the future events as well. So again, thank, thank you. you, thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Chattopadhyay. Thank, thank you, uh, Dr. Kumar, and thank you, Mukta and Deepthi. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you.